everybody, and welcome to Adjusted. I'm your host, Greg Hamlin, coming at you from beautiful Birmingham, Alabama, where the skies are still blue, and it's a balmy 65 in December, not complaining at all. And with me, I have our usual suspects, Mike Gilmartin with Key Risk and Matt Yaling from MEC. And we are together today to do a recap of our latest season, season six. So welcome, everybody. Thanks, Greg. I'm just excited to be here in the presence of Matt Yaling. He's uh, an esteemed guest. And uh, speaking of 65 degrees, I looked out my window yesterday, Greg. What is it, December 4th? So yesterday, December 3rd. And it's warm enough in Greensboro that my neighbor's kids were out in full bathing suits washing their parents' car. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> you're supposed great. to act like it's Christmas. Greg just told us this was going to air on Christmas. So Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm also so pleased to be with Mike Gilmartin and Greg Hamlin, the two infamous podcasters. Well, I'll tell you what, last year, so this year we are not going to Indianapolis for Christmas. Thank God we're staying home. And last year we went and it was like when they had that wind chill that was like negative 40 or something like that. And I took my son to an Indiana basketball game and just walking from the parking lot to the stadium, he was talking about how he had never been that cold in his entire life. And I was like, you know what? Uh, there's a lot of things I miss from the Midwest, but not that part. So <laughs> yeah, having to leave your having to leave your faucets dripping at night, which was a concept that was wild for the Midwest. I do not miss that in the slightest. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, otherwise your pipes freeze, get all that mess. So the struggle is real. The struggle is real. That's right. Well, it's good to have all of you guys on. I really enjoyed this season. This was a short one for us because we had so much content in the season before that. But one of the things I like to do each year as we wrap things up is just really talk about what topics we covered and what we learned. So our first episode that we aired this go-round was an interesting one, a man by the name of Josh Shoots, and Matt did this one with me. I actually learned about Josh through another guy at Brooks Rehab, Josh Shooty, which makes it even more confusing. But it was a fascinating story to hear about this individual who had lost multiple fingers to a workplace accident. And then really, not only did he recover, but got involved in helping others recover. Matt, what stood out to you from that episode? I, I think, Greg, speaking to an injured employee that had a generally positive outcome in the whole workers' compensation experience, he, had, uh, he raved about the adjuster. He raved about the care that he received for the most part. He did bemoan a little bit where the nuances of you know, things going exceeding formularies or items where, you know, approvals may have been, you know, slightly delayed. But generally speaking, you know, I think he's an example of a lot of things going right. Uh, the the care that 95% of injured employees get in the workers' compensation system is appropriate. It moves through. It's good. It's a no-fault system. He got the care he needed. And then I think for me, the the thing that really I liked about the episode is kind of his story and how he kind of overcame the adversities that had happened to him and really changed his outlook on what he was going to do in the career and where he was going to go with his life. And then he ended the episode and now now he has a newborn baby. You know, he did not have that baby and we had to reschedule a little bit to accommodate, you know, because his wife was going to be giving birth any day. So, I mean, it was a really good story about, you know, from injury through recovery. And now he's a therapist himself and working for the rehab facility that he actually treated at, and just a, an outstanding story, a story of, you know, perseverance and 
overcoming some adversity. And I think really speaks to the intent of the whole workers' comp system that you know we're here to provide outcomes positive for the injured employees. And and that's what Josh's story you know showed us. I don't get to often hear those stories from the claims that I see on a day-to-day basis. So I, I was really, you know, kind of gave me a little hope for for the process and everything. So that, those were some of my takeaways. Yeah, I, I agree. It was nice to hear, again, that the system worked the way it's supposed to. So often we hear, you know, the horror stories. And in this case, you know, workers' comp did what it was supposed to do. And, you know, even more inspiring to me was... All of us have setbacks in our lives, but for him to have that kind of setback and then to use that setback to help others who are going through the same thing, you know, to me was really inspiring. Just the little things he was doing to try to put videos on TikToks on how to maybe hold a pen different or how to do some of the day-to-day activities that we don't even think of was really cool to see. So for folks who haven't checked that one out, I really encourage you to, to listen to Josh. He's got a great story and He's doing great work at Brooks Rehab now, helping others. I think the, Josh's benefit will will be impactful for years and years to come for all the people he'll, he'll be able to emphasize with and, you know, treat and, you know, think differently. As you often ask people to think differently, you know, he, he definitely emulated that in his stories and the examples. Like you said, he kind of came moderately TikTok famous with some of his little adaptability uh TikToks and things like that. So yeah, it was definitely, definitely a great individual. I think he even maybe won an award recently for Workers Comp. I'm remembering right. So great story there. And you're 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 correct, Greg, that it does impact listeners because I actually listened to this podcast in my car to to check up on you guys and see how you're doing. But it was impressive. I it, it is rare that you find somebody who has an injury that literally changes the trajectory of their life in a good way. Like, I mean, right. it's just rare to hear those stories that that you can you can have an injury that's pretty severe and not only you know get back to what you were doing, but completely change the course of your life and go on to help people who might have the same injury as you. It was a really really cool story. Yeah, he he's he's definitely somebody. Everybody should check that one out. We went from that Mike to uh, effective negotiations with Carl Van. I love Carl. I've had the opportunity to bump into him a number of times throughout my career. And while his background is not directly in workers' comp, I always feel like he has a lot to add. And a lot of the things he's talking about are really the same problems, whether you're talking about an auto claim or a workers' comp claim or a liability claim. Mike, what stood out to you? I know you bumped into him before in the past, too. I have. The biggest thing that bumped out to me, Greg, was that I do not effectively negotiate with my wife, and I really need to rethink how I do that. Uh, on a daily basis. No, I, I just think Carl takes, and not to be too general, but Carl takes very non-rocket science type ideas and puts them into practice. And so I think some of the biggest things that he talks about is is gaining rapport, showing empathy, really getting to know somebody and not being adversarial with them. So having a true conversation, understanding things from their lens and kind of walking in their shoes a little bit to better help frame and understand how you can negotiate a claim, regardless of the type of claim, to your point, Greg, I think it's really, really valuable stuff. And then the other big one to me that I think is huge for newer adjusters or younger adjusters is understanding that you know your claim and the value of your claim generally better than most people you're talking to, right? So I think people get really intimidated by talking to attorneys and they want a demand or, you know, the attorney says, I want $400,000 and 
having that confidence and realizing that you know your claim, you've handled it, you you understand the injury, you understand the value, you understand what happened so much better than others that I think taking that confidence into your negotiation is a huge deal. I, I agree. You know, it was eye-opening to me when I worked for the state fund for a period of time in Kentucky. We had a defense attorney who ended up leaving his practice to join our company. And we were having a negotiations day with a very large plaintiff attorney that's on the radio a lot. What was interesting in that is was we went through the settlement day with them as he said, you guys know your claims way better than they do. I promise you. He's like, I've dealt with these people before. They're looking for a dollar amount, but you know the facts and you know the medical and stick to those things because actually that has a lot of power and they're not going to have spent the time that you're, you have spent understanding that claim. And I thought Carl really, and it's really true, uh, not that there aren't plaintiff attorneys who have spent that much time, but the vast majority of what we're dealing with, we're in the weeds a lot at the adjuster level and really understand the nuances. So I thought that was a great point too. I also love that he said negotiations start on day one. Like the first interaction you have with somebody, you're already starting because so much is built on trust. So if you... <laughs> If you're not answering the phone and you're not helping them, what do you think is going to happen three months from now or nine months from now when you're trying to resolve it? So I thought that was a good highlight that it's easy to forget that those relationships start on the very first interaction we have with people. They do. And, and, and I love this point about everything you do really on a daily basis is technically a negotiation, right? So if you need a medical authorization form signed, it's how you present that to the person, how you talk to the person. That's going to allow them to to understand the situation and get it back to you. And if you start adversarially or you start just not you know treating them with empathy, you're not going to have very good luck getting that medical authorization form back, right? And that's in and of itself a mini negotiation to say, hey, I understand your feelings. I understand where you're coming from. Here's why I need what I need, and here's how it'll help you and expedite your claim. It's just it, you don't think about those things on a daily basis when you're on the phone with somebody, and it it was eye-opening to me and, and also to not to argue with kind of feelings and thoughts, arguing with facts versus, you know, this is how I feel. So this, therefore this is, this should be. So. Yep. Yep. No, I, I always enjoy having him on. This is the second time I've had him on and he always brings so much value. So definitely encourage people to reach out to him too. He does training throughout the country. If your claims organization needs training, certainly reach out. But even on a smaller level, he's got several different books, Effective Negotiations, The Seven Characteristics of an Awesome Adjuster. He's got a number of others. Those could be used within your own organization, even if you don't maybe have the budget to bring him in and have him do a session with your team. So just encourage folks to look into that stuff. From there, we went to a difficult conversation. This was one that Matt and I, as we set it up, I knew it would be a little bit challenging because we, we talked about medical marijuana, which is a real issue that we're dealing with as the United States really changes in many states, the feeling about where that fits in. And it's a complicated thing for insurance companies to wrestle with. And so Matt and I uh, had the opportunity to talk to, I won't say his name right, Mazergoesis. I've totally butchered it. I'm sorry, Ron. You have to forgive me. But uh, he is a great guy somebody that I met teaching at Claims College, and I was really, really impressed with his knowledge on this topic and the amount of time he had spent studying all the different states and how they've handled medical marijuana and some of the challenges that carriers are facing with 
how to deal with when they receive these requests. Matt, what what stood out to you in this? Yeah, I think Ron had a very interesting background about how he got into the whole situation from a, a legal perspective and then just really became the expert, one of the foremost experts on this subject in the country from his own experience and, and just the volume of work he started working with, the the different accounts he was with, and then, then being the in-house counsel and different perspectives. And again, you know, we talk about thinking differently and, you know, we're so prone to saying no and just thinking like, well, is there an appropriate use for this? And going back and forth on, you know, what we've come a long way in the past 15 years on the subject and where it used to be an absolute no. And now it's, it's not so much a no anymore. It's now you're worried about the how you bill for it or how you account for it or how you reimburse for it. So, and he, uh, we, we gave the little caveat that we're not endorsing this, <laughs> but like most things, there's, there's generally a use case that's appropriate and there's, you, know, you can get into the benefits or dispute the medical or the legal components of this, but we didn't want to get into those weeds, but we just said, Hey, be open-minded. And I think that's what Ron was suggesting too, is like, you know, the, when you say no, you know, going back to the negotiation thing, it's like, you probably just created a hurdle for yourself. And, um, you know, sometimes it maybe the answer is yes, because from an insurance perspective, it's maybe a lot cheaper than the alternative or what the medications or the, the care that they're getting, the injured employee was getting before. So thinking differently, finding the appropriate use case, you know, and then having the right mindset for it, you know, is an interesting topic. We talked about like, we barely scratched the surface on this. And there's so many different avenues we could have taken on, you know, workers comp and, and marijuana uh, subject. I, yeah, I agree. And we were very careful to just make sure, you know, you have to consult your own attorneys, you have to know your your jurisdictions, you have to know what's allowed in each of those places. But and there are times when you look at what somebody's taking and you think, my gosh, they're taking this many opioids and then they have to take a medication for their constipation from the opioids. And then they're on a benzo, benzo on top of that in an anticonvulsant. And you start to look at all that. And there are some cases that people have shifted off of some of those medications that have all kinds of side effects and costs associated with them. So where that fits in, I think we're all st- trying to figure that out. And it was a good just discussion to try to understand where this plays out in the larger scheme. And I think time will tell, but it's definitely something to keep your finger on the pulse on. And I think that it'll definitely be one of those medications that's likely to be reclassified. You know, if you're a forward-thinking individual, what's going to happen in the next few years, you know, you're going to be a little further ahead of the game if you're already thinking about this versus, you know, you're you know, on the saying, oh, no, not until it, you know, not a schedule one medication any, any longer. So he talked a little bit about that in the, in the podcast. And I, I forgot the exact number and it's probably changed since we aired the podcast, but it's something like 33 or 36 states either allow it from a recreational or, or a medical use case for it. So there's only, you know, 40, 14, if I write, if it's 36 states uh, that don't allow for it for the use of it. So, and I think that number's probably changed. Again, like you said, consult uh, with your attorney, with the, the use case. There's a whole nother podcast we talked about of the marijuana positive test and, and the investigation thereof, you know, and so, I mean, there's a whole nother line of future podcasts that, that this one's probably going to provoke and everything else. So good subject. Ron's definitely an expert. He, he was another one that said, if you have questions, 
he can give you, he can tell you, yeah, you should go get an attorney or, or not on this subject. So he's not going to give a free legal advice, but he said, if you have an easy question or want to have somebody bounce an idea off, he, he even volunteered to take some of that. So. Yeah, no, it was, it was a great episode. I hope to have him on again next season to talk about pharmacy benefit managers, just because his knowledge on that is, it goes, he goes very deep, which is fantastic. So we went from that topic to home safe for the holidays. This is the second year we've done this. Now, safety is a big part of what we do in Berkeley Industrial Comp and really in all the Berkeley companies. You know, if we can avoid people getting hurt, and especially in our line where we're doing very dangerous jobs, we're talking about people's lives. We're talking about them being able to see the people they love, spend time with the people they love. And so this episode always is one that I enjoy doing. Last year, we had a few of our other safety people on. This year, we had Van on, who's our director of safety. And Mike tackled that one with me. Mike, what stood out to you on this one? Yeah, I thought it was a great conversation. I think the the two probably biggest things that stood out to me were talking about just an overall safety culture and, and the fact that when you have a solid safety culture, it starts at the top with the folks that run the company and are really pushing it and believe in it and actually foster a, a safety culture. And that that then spins down to the frontline employee. And then kind of middle management and everybody else will follow suit as long as those two groups are really kind of driving that force forward. I thought that was a really neat conversation because his point was, if there's no buy-in at the top, there will be no buy-in at the front. And at that point, you know, it's it's kind of a losing battle. And the other interesting thing you talked about a lot was, you know, people that that just don't want to do the right thing. And that, that's really tough. And I think he gave us some examples. And then people who really want to try and do the right thing, but don't know how. And that's where he talked about your group that comes in. That's our, what our group at Key Risk will like to do is get out in front of them and be more proactive rather than just the, hey, we had an accident. Now we need you. Well, what are things we can do on the front end? What are things we can do to work with you throughout the year, throughout your program, so that you're you're preventing these injuries and understanding how to do that versus just reacting to them on the back end? So he had a lot of really cool things to say, but those are the things that I think stuck out to me the most. I always enjoy speaking with Van. He has so much real world experience. And so when he talks about the stuff, you can tell he knows that he lives it and he's seen everything. And he often talks about wheels, complacency, and gravity being kind of the three things that if you could control those three things, you can do you can avoid a lot of injuries. And I could just think of so many times where we've seen injuries that could have been avoided. Very simply, I you know, I, I can think of one instance that was maybe a year or two ago or where they were doing some roofing, a particular company, and they didn't bring all their lanyards. They didn't have enough. And so the foreman was coming later in the day and he was going to bring some more lanyards. But rather than stop the work, they just went ahead and continued. And since they didn't have enough lanyards for everybody, then nobody wore them. And somebody fell fell off the roof that day and passed away. And that was a real eye-opening moment for that company. And I think about that situation, you know, they they had the right idea. They had the safety equipment. They just didn't have it there that day. And then rather than wait, they they went ahead. And I think we see so many of the injuries in our industry that happen in very similar situations. It's not that the people who who are doing it don't care. It's just that they forget or they get busy or they take that shortcut and then that's it, especially when you're dealing with height. So Yeah, you talked a lot about sustaining the culture too. Like you can get to a point where you have a good safety culture and everybody's bought in. 
But then to your point, Greg, it just becomes kind of second nature and it's you get complacent and you, you're kind of just going through the motions as opposed to really recognizing the things that you're doing and why you're doing them. And so he also is the story about the guy that bought all the um, temporary like, like guard assist for like being on roofs and then just had it in his warehouse. But it was just to appease OSHA is, is a wild story. Oh, it was. And, and I think that highlights, you know, the, that first level where you start hearing about companies that, well, they don't want to get in trouble. That's the reason that they're worried about safety is they don't want to get in trouble. So they might have a handbook, but they don't even know what's in the handbook. Or they might have guardrails in a, in a barn that they're not using, but, you know, they're hoping that that'll keep them out of trouble. But they're not really understanding that, like, what the real point is of, of safety and, and how it works. So always love that one. We do this every year. Hopefully we'll continue to do that as a tradition. Our safety team likes to really push that because at the end of the day, we really want the employees we insure to be able to be home with their families through the holidays and not be in a hospital somewhere because we've dealt with a few of those. So overall, I'm just, you know, in reflection, I started this podcast three years ago now. And here we are still covering topics on workers' comp. I'm proud of the work that we do. Love the guests that we brought on. Really appreciate Mike and Matt because they've really filled in a lot over the last couple of years to help this be successful. And I appreciate all the other people who are behind the scenes, like Jacob, who does our editing, and Natalie, who does our blog. There's a lot of hands that go into putting this together. And we all have real jobs uh, outside of doing this. So a lot of times these things get moved around a lot. And I appreciate everybody's patience in doing that. Uh, but I am really proud of the fact that we've really gone now three years. And there hasn't been a two-week period that we haven't released an episode, which says a lot. So. Hope you guys will continue with us next season. We've already got things mapped out well into August, and uh, we have some exciting topics. So looking forward to having you join us after the first of the year for more fun. And just remind everybody to do right, think differently, and don't forget to care. And we'll see you next season. Mm-hmm.